God bless you. Why don't you take your seats, take out your swords, take out your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 ties in with the message, this prayer that we just prayed. You see, ultimately, what it boils down to is what does God think? That is the question that every believer should concern herself or himself with. What does God think? Now, I know no one in here besides me is ever judgmental. But whether it's me as a pastor or you as a believer, maybe new to the Lord, to the kingdom, we are actually all ministers of the same grace of God. I have a different calling and I have a different level of responsibility. But for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of the king, we need to be concerned with what God thinks. About your own personal life, my own personal life, our corporate life as a church, We need to be concerned about the larger picture that is presented about the kingdom, the church at large, the church in the world, every believer everywhere. And to that end, we need to concern ourselves with how we can best understand and best live out what does God think. And two things strike you immediately. Where do we get such knowledge? How can we even know such a thing? Well, I'll tell you the chief way that you can know what God thinks about a very broad variety of things, and that is by simply knowing his word. Being exposed to the truth of God's word. That is why it is so important that the church does not abandon the teaching of God's word. I am not here as a pseudo-psychologist. I am not here as an entertainer. I am not here as a motivational speaker. I am here prayerfully to do one thing. And that is to teach God's word. It is to read from it authoritatively and give it sense and meaning. It's to rightly divide the word of truth. And to that end, the Apostle Paul now writes. And he writes from a position of having already explained some things about how the church should be functioning. We're supposed to be building things God's way, as we saw last week. And now we turn our attention to chapter 4 and to verse 1. And before we do, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help my voice to hold out. Lord, thank you that you've healed me sufficient to be here tonight. And I am grateful, Lord, for the privilege to teach your word. And I'm asking for about 45 minutes that you would just hold my voice together. For your word, for your name's sake. And God, as we study, would you bless us with understanding and knowledge 
and wisdom. Grace us, Lord, with your presence in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, 1 Corinthians 4. So let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. The mysteries of God. No pastor is an overseer of anything that is of any consequence except the mysteries of God. As pastors, I can only pass along. Our staff here, our staff pastors can only pass along. We are only the keepers of that which we have been given. We're the guardians, if you will, of of this majestic word that the Lord's given to us that contains within it the promise of salvation to all who will believe the good news of the gospel. We're simply stewards of that mystery. We don't make it up. We don't conjure it. It's not new. D.L. Moody was right. If it's new, it's probably not true. And if it's true, it's probably not new. The good news, the mystery. That's all any pastor that's any good at all at being a pastor really is, is a steward a guardian, a caretaker of the mysteries of God. And moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. Notice what it says there. Does it say anything about gifting? Does it say intelligent? Does it say a miraculously wonderful speaker? No, what it says must be found in someone who caretakes the things of God is they need to be faithful. And the question should pop into your mind, faithful to whom? Faithful to what? Faithful to God and his word. Not faithful to people, though that can be a part of the equation. Not faithful to a style of ministry. That also can be part of the equation. Not faithful to a particular version or rendering of the scriptures, but faithful to God. And verse 3, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you. He's speaking to the church. Or by a human court. Literally, a court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this. Wasn't arrogance or pride? It wasn't that he thought more highly of himself than he ought. He was legitimately unaware of anything that was in his life that was displeasing to God. And so because of that, he had a clear conscience. He was able to say, with everything within him, I believe I'm doing what God has asked me to do. And because of that, I don't fear men. But he who judges me is the Lord. 
and therefore judge nothing before the time. And that time is the time. And the way things are going in the world, the time might be tonight. He's talking about the day of the Lord, the time of the coming of the Lord, the rapture of the church, the tribulation that will follow, the second coming of the Lord, the millennial reign, the time. Ultimately, new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, the time. He's saying, don't judge things before the time. And there's all kinds of wonderful things that are buried within this, but chief among them is this. You are not God. Neither am I. Anybody been guilty of misunderstanding facts, figures? I have. Anybody judge things only be proven that not only were you not correct, you were going the opposite direction of correct? But with some firm conviction, you thought, oh man, I've got this nailed. This guy is going straight to the pit of hell. Because I know. Only to have that guy end up a pastor. That's what a lot of people said about me. God only knows what he's doing. Until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of hearts. And then each one's praise will come from God. And now these things, brethren, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written. In other words, to focus again back to the word. Just read your Bible. And if you agree with your Bible, you're agreeing with God. Again, it's what it says that's important. That none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. I know in some occasions, before I matured a little bit in Christ... I was one of those judge first and get the facts later guys. And very often execute and then have the trial as well. (laughs) Feeling that, you know, my superior spiritual intellect, of course, would not ever fail me. Brothers and sisters, you see, the thing that really determines our own trustworthiness are a couple of very simple things. The way you can actually judge me, and I would encourage you to just, if you see something, come talk to me, but mostly just pray for me. But anyone, really, is how do they stack up to God's word, and how does that stacking up to God's word translate into their life? It's not that hard. But you see, what happens is, as human beings, we start to judge human beings by human beings. That's a really bad thing to do. Because you can always find someone who's better than everyone, and you can always find someone worse than you. And so if your standard is not God's holy word, and it is not that word put into action in your own life first, I can pretty much guarantee you you're going to miss the mark. We are to be governed by the word and how we live it. 
I want my own personal character to be exactly what I teach from God's word. And while I can honestly say there are days when I go, Lord, I'm I'm sorry, I blew it. That's certainly not my desire. It's not my goal. And when confronted with my own error by God's word, I am forced to do exactly what I'm telling you to do. I yield to what God's word says, and I do what God's word says. We have to demonstrate this if we want to lead in the church. And to that end, it's really about ability versus usability. You you see, a lot of people think because they have some ability that they're usable. And I can tell you there's a lot of very, very gifted people who are useless for a lot of different reasons. Usually right at the top of the list is pride. I know that was my case. I thought God actually did the world a favor by saving me. Because of course he saw the greatness that I have. And if he could save me and then take my greatness, I mean the world would be the benefit of my greatness. The reason I'm sharing that with you is a lot of times that's probably an extreme way to talk about pride, but isn't that really kind of how we see ourselves sometimes? And I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but I am asking you to examine your heart. You see, God is unwilling to share his glory with anyone. He will not do it. And so you may have tons of ability, but you can be very unusable to God. Your usability will be in question. Because see, here's what's going to happen. He's going to take this incredible mystery that is the gospel and the word, and he's going to pour it into you, and he wants you to just pour that out. Now, he's going to use your personality. He'll use your sense of humor. He'll use your physical body. He's going to use all kinds of tools that you are the possessor of. But the content of the message makes you simply a steward or overseer of the mysteries of God, and that's what you're supposed to deliver. Not your jacked-up version of that. And you know what I'm saying. You see, because we take and we got a little bit of legalism mixed in us or a little bit of libertine mixed in us, and all of a sudden, on the libertine side, God's no longer holy. And over here on the legalistic side, God just wants to beat everybody half to death so he can save them. And so instead of being a steward and an overseer of the mysteries of God, we've kind of made up a new mystery. And on this side... God wants to kill you so he can save you. And on this side, it's okay for you to live in a spiritual dumpster. You understand what I'm saying? You are a steward. I am a steward of the mysteries of God. All I can do is give you what God's given me. And if I give you something else, I've probably given you some of me, and that's not a good thing. Now, does God use vessels? Of course he does. Should you be appreciative of Christian leaders? Yes, of course. 
But at the end, I'm just a living parable. I'm like the book of Jeff. And the book of Jeff isn't a new book. The book of Jeff is you take the other books and you stick them in the vessel that is Jeff and Jeff starts to be a living parable of what it's like to live out that word so that people can see it and read it and touch it. You see, it's about me taking what God has given and being very careful about what I do with it. You see, it really is not about my ability. It's about my usability. And I think Paul writes this because our propensity is to follow people. Isn't it? Most people want to follow a person. And while that is not inherently sinful, as long as that person is following the Lord, which is exactly why the Apostle Paul says several times, follow me as I follow Christ, or imitate me as I imitate Christ. But he's supposed to so much be like Jesus that you could actually follow Paul and be following Jesus is the picture. You see, I need to be faithful And I need to be available to Jesus. And that brings us to the central message tonight. What does the Lord think of me? You see, at the end, I'm not going to, I know this is going to shock some of you. When we get to heaven, I'm not going to answer to you. And I don't mean to say that rudely. It should be a recognition in your mind That when we get to heaven, none of us are going to answer to each other. We're all going to answer to the Lord Jesus. And so this should do a couple of things in our lives. Number one, you should have a very healthy fear for your own sake. And it should cause you to worry about your own things preeminently. Because when you worry about your own things and do something about your own things, you become more valuable to God and consequently more able to help other people with their things. But what we have with a lot of people is they're so concerned with other people's things that they stop concerning themselves with their own things and thereby they are actually the problem. And you know them, you've probably met them. They don't live their own life before the Lord, but they can sure tell you how to live your your life before the Lord. Amen? You know what I'm saying. And if I'm speaking and it's hitting home a little bit, I'm not chastising anyone. But what I am saying is, your chief concern should be you. And until you reach the utter perfection of Christ, you probably have enough on your hands. Amen? Amen? I know I do. Now, as a pastor, I actually have a biblical obligation to call out false teaching. I have to call out heresy. And in fact, if I don't call out heresy, I am a false teacher myself. So when I hear somebody say something that's unbiblical and they're trying to convince people that it's true, I have an obligation to call that out. But I do not have an obligation to listen to everybody's desire for the color of the walls in the sanctuary. (laughs) Or the carpet. Or whether it should be 
67 and a half or 72 in the sanctuary. I'm trying to help you understand something here. It is impossible to please all people all the time. Amen? And everyone has an opinion. And what the temperature is in the sanctuary is not a spiritual matter. There's no place in the Bible where it talks about thermostats, okay? Except where it comes to your temperature in Christ. And then it talks about that a whole bunch. You you see, sometimes we get hung up on some of these things that don't matter. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, you know, they have colored lights in the sanctuary. (laughs) Jesus never had colored lights. Jesus didn't have electricity. (laughs) Just saying. You know, I I love the people that, you know, try and misquote scripture. They didn't have seats. So be careful about pulling out the Bible to defend your position on things that don't matter. You see, I'm not going to be judged by you. I'm going to be judged by God. So I want to help you help me. Pray for me every single day that I would be judged by God to be found completely worthy of this incredible blessing of being your pastor. Because that's what I want. You do that, here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to be knocking on my door. Uh, Jeff, that's the wrong color for the sanctuary. (laughs) You are being arrogant about the color in the sanctuary. And so on and so forth. You see, you change the person into someone who deeply cares about what God wants. Don't you think the Holy Spirit is able to speak into that person's life if that's what they want to hear? And yet we go about it by, well, I'll just get a little army over here of the people who wanted orange. <laughs> we're the orange crowd, and we're not going away until you painted orange. You see, and then we start following people, and we worry about our little things that bother us. I get probably a dozen things a week of new ministry things. And let me be really honest here and just totally transparent. Sometimes it bugs me to death that we can't do everything. But we can't do everything. We have currently over 50 ministries in this church. Five zero. We support an additional 50 plus churches around the world. We got a few things going on. So when you come to me and you you bring this thing and you kind of say it in a way that it makes me feel like I'm being unspiritual, if I don't think we should have a ministry to the second person on the third street on the fourth corner of the other side of such and such a freeway, I'm probably actually just trying to say we don't have any more things that we can do, not so much that what you want to do is a bad thing. 
of people come. And it's like, well, you know, you just don't care about the people on the third corner, on the fourth street, on the sixth block, on the other side of such and such a freeway, which it's not true. So I go back to this verse and I go, you know what? When I get to heaven, I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an account for what I did with what God gave me. And it scares me to death. Keeps me awake at night sometimes. I personally actually have nightmares sometimes about it. Because the enemy just plants that. It's like, man, you should do this or do that. So again, the key is pray for people in authority. Pray for those in leadership. Pray for your pastors. We have 16 pastors in this church. There's a lot of us running around trying to do all kinds of ministry things. And sometimes we don't know what to do. We need your help. So please pray. Please. Because we do care what the Lord thinks. We actually care what you think. But sometimes we just can't do everything. We're going to try really hard if we can. Paul's candor here kind of clarifies two very significant temptations. One is to rely on the approval or disapproval of people. It's an impossibility. It is an impossibility to get the approval of everyone. And if you're resting on the approval of everyone, you will then have the disapproval of some and consequently you'll live your life in defeat because of the disapproval. So I've stopped trying. I don't try and win the approval of everyone. I do listen to the Lord. And I'm not trying to make this just about me. I'm trying to give you a little insight of what it's like to be in a position of leadership and have thousands of people with opinions and not be able to meet every single one. So the Apostle Paul says, you probably should be mostly concerned about what God thinks. Amen? So you rely on that. On the other thing, on the negative side, is man, we can justify almost anything, can't we? You see, if you get enough people together, if I go ask for enough opinions, there's a reason in Matthew 18, when you have aught with your brother, you're supposed to take a neutral party in step two so that you can actually identify the real facts in the matter instead of gaining an army and then going, because we can rationalize almost anything. We can put together our pieces of the puzzle before we ever get to it. And so, please, don't rely on just what you think of a certain situation, because chances are you can rationalize anything. And this goes all the way to the point of sin. I've had people come to me and rationalize immorality. I've had people come to me and try and rationalize thievery. I've had people come and try and rationalize every kind of ungodly behavior, and here's how they do it. Well, they wouldn't listen to me. I told them over and over and over and over again, so to get their attention, I then am fill in the blank. My husband wouldn't do this. My wife wouldn't do that. So in order to get their attention and to prove that they were wrong, this is what I did. 
Here's a little secret from this passage. One day, your excuses are going to be revealed for exactly that. They're excuses and rationalizations. And you should probably think about not doing that because when you get to heaven, God's going to go, I ain't buying it. You knew what to do and you didn't do it. And the intent of our hearts will be revealed, as this passage says. You see, you truly can you, you, you truly can deceive some of the people some of the time and all of the people part of the time, but you cannot deceive God any of the time, ever. So you may win a few here, but you'll win none there. And to that end, just exactly as Proverbs 29 says, you know, ultimately it's not our job to judge anyway. But Proverbs 29, often because of the fear of man, we get a snare. We're more concerned about what people think than what God thinks. That should never be the case for us as believers. We should care what God thinks. Because here's the deal. He is perfect in his judgment. God's going to sort out every word, every deed, every action, all of it. And he's not going to call up your posse. He's not. He's not going to say, well... Jeff, you disagree with me. Man, I must be wrong. No, he's going to be perfectly right. And my works are going to be tested. And if they weren't of gold and silver and precious things, if they were wood, hay, and stubble, they're going to burn up. And so God says, please don't do that. Don't fear man, fear God. The end of verse 25 of Proverbs 29 says, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Scripture is just filled with admonitions, many of them from Jesus himself. To be obedient to God first and supremely. If you do that, you're never going to be wrong. That's the crazy thing. You take out your Bible, find out what it says about a given subject, and do the best that you can to implement that as your plan of action. And you're going to be right. It's this incredible spiritual insight that comes from just doing what God's word says. That's the reason that Hebrews tells us that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. No matter which way you slice it, it dices. Amen? So if you're using it to cut through the junk, it cuts through the junk. If you're using it to prune, it does that. The word of God is sharp. And it's also living. So we compare things to the word of God. I don't compare things to other things. I don't compare things to how other churches do church. I say, God, is this what you want for this church. Is this what you want for me? And does it meet the criteria of your word? That's what we need to be concerned with in our own personal lives. 
That's why we saw just a couple of weeks ago in chapter 2. God has revealed us these deep things. Or in verse 10 of chapter 2. He searches all things by his own spirit. Human beings have no capacity to play God. Zero. Only God can judge perfectly. Only God. You remember when they were trying to choose a new king? And you remember the sons of Jesse were being paraded? You remember that whole scene? And here, there, you know, I was like, whoa, you know, we really like Saul. Why did they like Saul? He had the guns. He wore really nice shoes. He had the, I mean, he had some nice kicks. He was handsome. Well-spoken. He fought MMA. He took nothing from nobody. They're in 1 Samuel 16, and then comes David. It's like everybody's going, you are kidding me. He's the lunch boy. Send him back to Subway. But you see, God saw what they couldn't see. Because earlier in David's life, God knew something about David. And David said, I have fought the lion, and I have fought the bear, and this giant is nothing to you, God. You see, God was looking on the inside. God wasn't looking at how tall he was. God wasn't looking at the size of the building. He wasn't looking at the ornateness of it all. He wasn't looking at the technology. He was just looking at the heart of a man that was totally sold out. And consequently, of David, it is said that he had a heart after God. But see, you couldn't have seen that, and neither could have I. But God did. God judges perfectly. There are guys that I know that have been in ministry a very long time, and I'm going to tell you, I fear for when they stand before the Lord. Because I know things about their ministry, their personal lives, that have gone hidden for decades, never repented of. And I pray for them. It's like, Lord, please let them repent before they leave this earth. Let them give up that hidden sin. Let them be reconciled to you, God. But I can tell you there's a few of them that have some pretty seriously large churches. Big followings. But there is rot inside of their lives. God sees that rot. And one day it's going to get revealed. Actually, Scripture says it'll be shouted from the rooftops. So it's no surprise to me when people who have a huge following, all of a sudden there's something revealed because I believe it's God sparing his own holy name. 
It's like I'm removing this dude. This gal's coming out of the equation because I don't want to be associated with that. So be careful because God sees it. It's absolutely true. Galatians 6.1 If a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. We must always have the heart of restoration in view. We must always have love in view, but we also cannot ever lose sight of the holiness of God and his truth. You cannot take truth and have it stand alone without love, and you cannot have love and have it stand alone without truth. They go together. Speaking the truth, therefore, in love. You see, that's really the deal. We all have our personal preferences. But we have to make sure that our very deepest loyalties are to our king. We all have things that are on our hearts, but we have to make sure that we're not paying homage to the human agents but rather still paying homage to the Lord. Any true spiritual leader is nothing more and will never be anything more than a representative of Christ. I was sitting at lunch with Dr. Henry Blackaby. Dr. Blackaby's family all of his sons, every last one of them is a pastor. Great devotional experience in God. Here's a man that's still pastoring actively, just like Pastor Chuck did, well into his 80s. And I actually asked him, I said, well, what's the secret to your longevity in ministry? And he looked at me, and he just said, Jesus. That's all he said. Not Jesus and, you know, I did this and did that. He started a Bible college in Canada. He's got, you know, he just has this incredible heritage. And so I asked him what he thought his greatest legacy was. And he said, my sons. Because they love Jesus. Oh, that we get that. That I get that. That when we leave this earth, what is known about me or you, us as a church, is Jesus. Because he's the one that matters. If we do that well, it's going to be incredible. If we don't do that well, there's grace. But I want to do that well. The only question that ultimately really matters is what does God think? Amen? Amen. Would you stand and we'll pray together. Lord, I thank you for answering my prayer. She allowed me to finish what I started this day. 
And Lord, that's a simple prayer. Would that be each of our prayers? Lord, let us finish what you started in us each day. God, would you receive the glory and the honor and the praise? Would your name be magnificent in this world because of our lives being lived for you? Would your word be alive in our lives? Would we be walking, living epistles for people to read? Lord, they may not pick up a Bible, but they can read us. And so let us be a story of grace. God, we care deeply about what you think. And so, Lord, we're asking you, make our lives count for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.